was definitely nerve wracking and it was definitely something that weighed heavily on my mind, but I also really felt I have enough savings to get me through one year. I'm going to give this one year. If it fails, I will go back to teaching if this doesn't work out, but I truly believed that it would work out. And like you said, teachers, yes, they have benefits and it's a stable income, but you're not being compensated in the way that you should be. So it's not like I was working as a doctor or a lawyer and was trying to match and surpass that type of salary. So I took a lot of comfort in the fact that I could always go back to teaching and it was just worth taking the risk. Are you ready to decide it's your turn to live your most purposeful, profitable, passionate life? I'm Christina LeCure, former professional golfer turned confidence and success coach. I truly believe every one of us was put here for a God-given purpose, and it is our responsibility to live that fully. For well over a decade now, I've been turning my life as well as countless others around from feeling unworthy, incompetent, and without a purpose to living a life I cannot wait to wake up for even on days when shit hits the fan. And it all started with a decision. Yeah, you heard that right. I said God and shit in the same sentence. So clearly this won't be your typical podcast, but what I can assure you is that each week myself and my guests are going to enlighten you, fire you up, and having you walk away with stories and strategies to not only boost your confidence, but give you hope that at any moment in time, you have the power to decide it's your turn. Hey y'all, welcome back to the podcast. So are you anything like me? And when you're scrolling social media, the thing that stops you the fastest is the food porn. If so, you and I can probably be friends and you are going to love today's episode because I am interviewing the one and only, the Carbaholic. You've probably seen her on social media. You may not know it, but you will want to follow her after today. Rachel is joining me. She talks all about how she went from a first grade school teacher to now having one of the biggest food blog porn sites that there is. You guys, she reviews all of the ooey gooey magical brilliantness. Rachel today tells us all of her recommendations for the best restaurants in the country. You guys, today was such a fun episode and Rachel is just proof that you can decide it is your turn to do anything that you want in this world. And I want you to listen to how Rachel went from a teacher to now one of the biggest food bloggers there is. Be sure to follow Rachel. She gives us all the recommendations and it's not a hard follow. Let me tell you, the food porn is insane on her site. You guys enjoy today's episode. Please share it with a friend and please give us a five-star rating and review on the Decide It's Your Turn podcast. Enjoy Rachel's episode. Oh my gosh, y'all. If you are someone like me who loves a good sweet, who loves a good carb, you are going to enjoy today's podcast because I am getting to talk with the one and only, the Carbaholic from Instagram. Rachel is joining me today. Hey, girl. Hi, Christina. Thank you for having me on the podcast today. Oh my gosh. I am so excited because I will tell you, I am a carb girl. I am a sweets person and I've been following your page for quite some time now. And you've always had just like this amazing, like recipes and videos and all the things that I am so not good at. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, who better to reach out to than you? Because over the years there, I have worked with so many people who say that they want to do, you know, they want to go out and do the big thing, like 
be a food blogger, for instance. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm just going to reach out to Rachel and see if that she would join me for the podcast and just kind of talk about your journey and hopefully inspire inspire someone who's listening or watching over on YouTube to go, you know what, damn it, this is something that I've always wanted to do. And if Rachel can do it, I can do it. So thanks for being here. Of course, I'm so excited to share my journey with everybody. Yeah, girl. So the Carboholic over on Instagram, but like, take us back a few years. How did this all start? And then we can kind of go from there. Of course. So growing up, my family loved food. I feel like our vacations revolved around going to cities where there would be interesting things to try, good restaurants to eat at. I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And on the weekend, we would always drive into the city to try a new restaurant in Philadelphia. My mom loved to cook. She loves to bake. She was always having my sister and I help her in the kitchen. So my love of food really evolved from a young age. And when I was in college, I studied abroad in Sydney, Australia. So cool. It was amazing. Would give anything to go back. But I was eating so many crazy, exciting, different things. Um, And I started taking a lot of pictures of them. And it was, this was in 2016. Instagram was a little bit different back then. It was still fairly new. And I had my personal Instagram account. And every day I was just posting these giant cones of ice cream with Nutella all over them or a kangaroo burger and crazy acai bowl. And my friends started telling me, you need to stop posting food on your Instagram every day. It's annoying. And in a a kind way, but I was enjoying doing it. So I thought, why don't I make a second account? And I made kind of a burner account and I, the handle was Bites of Sydney. And I started going crazy, posting pictures of everything that I was eating, not only in Sydney, but when we traveled on the weekend. So New Zealand, Thailand, just pictures of any and everything that I was eating. And it was kind of, it was before the term influencer existed. It was before social media was saturated with food bloggers. And I started to amass a following while I was there. I think by the time I left Sydney, I might've had 10,000 followers, which was never even something that I considered. You know, I didn't create the account thinking, I want to gain a million followers. It was just kind of a, a food diary for me where a public diary for me of sorts, so I could remember everything that I ate. And initially I had planned to delete the account when I returned back from studying abroad, but I loved what I was doing. And so I changed the name to Bites of DC. I was studying at George Washington University in Washington, DC. I was headed back for senior year and I thought I'll change the handle to Bites of DC and I'll just start posting everything that I'm eating in DC. And I kept going with it. I started posting a few things that I would bake while I was in college or that my mom would bake while I was at home. And my following just kept growing. I did a bucket list. So there was a Sprinkles Cupcakes in Georgetown. And I posted something about wanting to try every cupcake flavor that they had on the menu. And somebody from Sprinkles actually reached out to me. This was the first brand partnership that I had ever worked on. It was a gifting partnership. They reached out to me and said, we'd love to help make that happen. And they gave me these comp codes so that I could have maybe 25 free cupcakes and 
So I went in and over the course of maybe a month, I tasted and reviewed every cupcake on the sprinkles at the sprinkles cupcakes bakery. And I gained a lot of followers from that. People were pretty tuned into it and things just kept really growing and moving. I had been studying to be a teacher at the time. So it, it didn't shift my thinking in terms of what do I want to do after college? I never had the thought that maybe I want to go into PR or influencer relations or be a food blogger full time. You know, I kept on the path of education and wanting to be an elementary school teacher. I did ultimately end up changing my handle from Bites of BC to The Carbaholic because I knew I didn't want to stay in DC after grad school. I did a one-year grad program, but I, I wanted a handle that was more neutral. And The Carbaholic came to me so naturally and quickly because I love carbs. I love bread, pasta, pizza, dessert. All of those things are my go-tos. And I thought of that handle and that was it. And I switched to the Carbaholic and fast forward a few years, the pandemic hit. I shifted my content from dining out to recipes at home that people could create. Everyone was stuck at home. Engagement was so high during that period. Every single day I was baking something new, sharing the recipe. And I think my following doubled in, in that period of time, bringing me to over 100,000 followers and things just kept growing. Oh my gosh. Okay. So there's so much here, you guys. I really, I'm so excited about this because it's like such a fun topic. And if you guys aren't watching this on YouTube, you're listening to, um, this is a podcast. You should see Rachel. She's so little and so cute. And you're like the carbaholic. And I know you probably get that all the time, but it's so funny because you know, like you would think that like, I don't know, but you're just like itty bitty. I'm like a giant compared to you. <laughs> I know everybody that the first thing that everybody says you don't eat any of it, right? I'm like, no, I taste all of it. I eat what I like. I mean, do I literally eat a whole cake to myself? No, but I am not holding back. And I, it brings me so much joy to try new foods and Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's the whole point. I really want you guys to listen to this. I have done, you know, by the time that this comes out, I, it'll probably, will probably be over 150 episodes. And the common theme that I always find from my most successful people, my most successful clients, the people that I interview on the podcast who are so successful is the fact that everyone starts the thing that they're doing in a very organic way. They start it because they have a passion. People ask me all the time, how did I get into this? It's because I'm obsessed. I am fucking obsessed with helping people live their best lives. The mindset and the strategy it takes in order to have success in their lives, their personal or professional life. Like I am just obsessed with it. It was never something like I'm going to set out to be a coach. I'm going to set up to do all these things. And it's just like the exact same thing that Rachel's saying. She literally loved doing it. She had a passion. So if you guys are taking one thing away from this podcast, I really hope that you take away the fact that like, follow the thing that brings you so much joy and then figure out how to monetize it. Because when Rachel started, she didn't go, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a sprinkles influencer. She's like, no, I fucking love cupcakes and I'm going to try every damn one. And then it just happened to be that you became the sprinkles influencer. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And it was years before I was making any money off of my page and it's not even something that I knew was a possibility. There, the term influencer 
did not exist when I created my page. I remember the first time one of my friends said to me in 2017, I showed her my page for the first time. She said, oh my God, you're an influencer. And I looked back at her and I said, oh, what? What is that? I had, I had never even heard the term before. And in that period of time, restaurants and PR firms weren't allocating budgets towards influencer marketing. It was never a goal for me to make money off of the page. And so, yeah, it was pretty cool to see how that evolved into that because it was beyond my wildest imagination. Yeah. You just started because you had a passion for it. So I think that's like just so helpful for people to hear because every single person has something that they're passionate about. I mean, I think of everything from, you know, microphones to photography, to food, to Legos. I mean, so many people are making so much money doing things, but the people who are the most successful are doing it truly because they enjoy it so much. I mean, I am sure if you, if I had to be in your shoes, I don't think I could have the success that you have because I am not as passionate about taking food photos and blogging about food and going to a try food and dear God, baking the food, you know, all of the things. But that's what I think sets so many successful people apart is you have to do the thing that you're super, super passionate about. And then you can figure out how to monetize it. But just starting is how this whole thing came about. Absolutely. And it sounds cheesy, but it really doesn't feel like work for me because it's, I love it so much. And it's something that I would do even if I wasn't making money doing it. Amen, sister. I say it. I say the same thing all the time. Um, Okay. So you started back in 2016 when you're living in Sydney, you came home, you were still on the path of going to school. You were going to be a teacher and you did become a teacher. That's correct. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So you were doing the teaching thing. What point in time, because people always ask this question too, is like, what, at what point in time do you know that it's okay to make the transition? People always ask me like how I made the transition from professional golfer, you know, golfing host, all the things to doing what I'm doing now. So tell us a little bit about that portion of how you went from the teaching to the full-time, you know, influencer. Absolutely. So I started teaching in New York city in 2018. I had just finished a one-year master's program, got my master's in early childhood education. And there were a few people, including my parents even, who were asking me, hey, like the Carboholic's doing really well. Have you considered not going into teaching and seeing what you could make of that? And it was a hard no for me for a few reasons. One, I loved children. I'd always wanted to be a teacher and I really felt like I had to give that a go. And two, I loved what I was doing with the Carboholics so much. And I had this fear that if I was doing that full time and if it was my only source of income and my only job, it would stop being enjoyable and it would become stressful and it would kind of take some of the passion out of it. So it really at that point wasn't something that I was interested in. I started teaching I was 23 at the time. I had a lot of energy. I would, you know, when you're a teacher, the school day is done at 3.30. So the school day would end at 3.30. I would hop right on the subway. I would go downtown. I was teaching at a school on the Upper East Side. I would go downtown, spend four hours going to bakeries that I wanted to try, setting up restaurant visits, and would get back like eight o'clock and really have had a full day kind of doing two jobs. I would teach and then I would go work on the content for the Carboholic. 
and that was working well for me. I enjoyed it. I, I definitely looked forward to it during the school day. I enjoyed teaching, but I feel like my a lot of my excitement was coming from wherever I was visiting after work that day. And then I had about a year and a half teaching before the pandemic hit. So when the pandemic hit, I couldn't be going to bakeries or restaurants to try anything. I really wasn't ordering anything in at that time. All gifting and paid opportunities came to a halt, but I stayed in New York while I was teaching and I started cooking and baking all the time. I was teaching on Zoom. I would have a 30 minute break. I would prep my ingredients. I'd go back to teaching. I'd have a 30 minute break. I'd stick something in the oven, go back to teaching. You get the point. And I was, after the school day was over on Zoom, I would edit everything that I shot, style it, post it, and that my page kind of changed to for a few months at that point to being all homemade things and recipe content. And that was working well for me. I went, we went back to school the following fall, fall 2020, and I kind of kept with the homemade theme because there was no indoor dining yet. Everything was still pretty upside down. And then when I was teaching last year, I started to become pretty unhappy teaching. Um, you know, I could spend hours talking about what led to that, but there really was a shift after the pandemic, not even during the pandemic. I didn't find the virtual teaching to be that grueling, but going back after and just seeing the developmental delays and issues and the ways in which the curriculum wasn't geared towards solving and helping any of these issues was so disheartening and like started to lead to a lot of burnout for me. I had no energy after work to go anywhere and film anything. And, you know, I had started to kind of neglect my page a little bit. I'd gone from posting every day to maybe posting three days a week. And I just started to feel kind of uninspired by what I was doing every day. But I, at that point, I still wasn't thinking about leaving. And it was actually my boyfriend who said to me one day, you're not going back to that school next year, right? And I was kind of like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you're so unhappy. And I, I had not even considered leaving. You know, that's what I was doing. That's what I had set out to do. And I was kind of fixed in that mindset. And I started to open my mind up to what would it be like to run Carboholic full time? I would need to have more brand partnerships and more gigs going on in order to make a living out of it. You know, I, it wasn't, it was nice when a brand paid me and when I worked on a paid campaign at that point, but it wasn't something that I was seeking out or being proactive about because teaching was my full-time job and is, a, takes up a lot of your time and energy. And I kind of came around to the idea of giving it a try especially because with teaching, you can always go back. If you, It's not like I was leaving and I could never go back or I was leaving and had climbed a ladder that I couldn't reclimb. You know, I could always go back to teaching if I left. So I pulled the plug and I told the school that I was teaching at that I wouldn't be coming back the following year. And I started doing a lot of outreach to different companies that I had worked with telling them that I was doing content creation full-time, asking if they needed any extra hands. And it was also a kind of unique time for this pivot because video content has really blown up. And I think that a lot of brands are looking for extra hands creating reels and TikToks. 
in a way in which they weren't looking for extra hands taking photos when Instagram was just stills. So I was surprised to see how many restaurants, bakeries, small brands did have a budget and were looking for people who could help them with content creation. So I had around last, when I quit in June, I had nothing lined up (laughs) in terms of how I was going to make an income. I was going to be paid by the school I taught at through the end of the summer, but I had to figure out what to get on my plate so that I could make a living. And August, I had three restaurants that I was working with that would at least you know, bring in a steady income every month. And then I would have partnerships that might be one-off or might be quarterly that would supplement that. But everything came together actually very organically and within a much faster timeline than I was anticipating. It still blows my mind to this day. So yeah, so the I would say the two ways that I've been able to monetize this are by working with restaurants in the city to create content for them that I'm not posting and I'm not using, but they're welcome to use on their channels or through partnerships for the Carboholic. I work with the brand, they pay me whatever amount we agree on and I'm posting deliverables on my page. Okay. I am loving this. I'm going to go back for a second because I would love to know, because I think that this is something that comes up for so many people is, did you have an issue or was there like this hard thing? Cause one thing that I have found with so many people and for myself included, I mean, when I made the transition from golf, Christina to coach Christina or the Christina that I am today, you know, my handle is B Christina. And the reason for that is because I'm just truly trying to be myself. And some days that is golf, Christina, but other days that's wife, Christina, lazy, Christina, coach, Christina, like all of the different things in, in one, you know, under one umbrella. But did you have a hard time changing your identity? Because like you wanted to be a teacher, you went to school, you have a master's. Like, was that a hard shift for you? Because I know so many people struggle with that. I wouldn't say that it was a hard shift just because it had always been in the back of my mind while I was teaching that I did have an out. But I think it was, I definitely felt nervous about pulling the plug and making that change. And what if it's a huge mistake? What if this school won't hire me back if I want to come back? I liked teaching there for the most part. Um, So I felt anxiety in that sense, but I didn't feel a huge identity shift because I had been doing both simultaneously. And in a lot of ways, it was kind of freeing because as a teacher, I never wanted to post my face on my page. I never wanted my students to know about it. I never wanted their parents to know about it. Because, I mean, I, w- I would never post during school hours because, you know, I had colleagues following me on the page. But I feel like living both of these lives at the same time was kind of restricting because I didn't want them involved. I didn't want them intersecting. I didn't want my students coming in in the morning and saying, oh, my God, you got to eat that ice cream yesterday. You know, it just felt like a direct conflict of interest. And so in that sense, it felt kind of freeing that I could post when I want. I can post at 12 p.m. I can post without worrying about a parent seeing it and complaining to my school about XYZ. So in that sense, it kind of felt like a weight off my shoulders. 
That's cool. Did you now about the financial part of it? Because, you know, this is a big thing that a lot of people come, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how am I going to monetize it? How am I going to figure it out? And like leaving something that felt, you know, very stable. A teaching job is something that's very stable. I'm assuming you're not making millions of dollars as a teacher, but it's very, no, (laughs) but it's a very stable, good paying, you know, you have benefits, all of the things, you know, over the years, it's so funny. I have had, you know, a lot of people get stuck in the one or two fears in order to move forward. And one thing that I just firmly believe on believe in is you don't need to know the final destination. You just need to know the next action. And a lot of people get stuck, you know, over the years, one of the funniest things that not funny, but it's a true thing that a lot of people worry about. They're like, well, what am I going to do for insurance? You know, like, it's just those, those thoughts that get caught in your head of like, but I have this stable job that has insurance, that has benefits, that has all of these things. So was that a big thing to you? Or did you feel like you had enough runway in the three months that you were going to be able to take care of yourself? Like, what did that look like? It was definitely nerve wracking and it was definitely something that weighed heavily on my mind, but I also really felt like I have enough savings to get me through one year. I'm going to give this one year. If it fails, I will go back to teaching. It's not hard to find a job teaching right now in this country. I will have no problem getting hired at another school if this doesn't work out, but I truly believed that it would work out. And like you said, teachers, yes, they have benefits and it's a stable income, but you're not being compensated in the way that you should be. So it's not like I was working as a doctor or a lawyer and was trying to match and surpass that type of salary. So I, I took a lot of comfort in the fact that I could always go back to teaching if things really weren't going well with Carboholic and I was making no money, which I did not see being the case. But if that was happening, I could tutor, I could babysit, you know, I would not be living on the streets and it was just worth taking the risk. That's so awesome. And you're so young too. I feel like, and how old are you? Like 25, 26? 28. 28, 28. Okay. You're still 28. So you're so young. You know, I don't think I have to put this out there, but like, I love when I'm like my youngest client to date has been 18 years old, but I love getting to work with like the young people. Like I work with clients who are 70, but I've worked with a lot of people who are quite young. And I feel like I I learned this I heard this from a podcast that I was on and someone said, you know, between 20 and 30 is a really beautiful time for you to kind of go all in on your career, to go all in on your life. And like a lot of people make different decisions in their twenties and thirties. You know, I never got married until I was 29, but I just feel like that 20 to 30 is a beautiful time for you to try all the things like you literally, most people, you know, I guess everyone's different, but like, you don't have a ton of responsibility. A lot of people don't have, you know, some, you know, you don't have four kids that you're looking after. I know some people do, but like you have all of this ability to kind of try to go all in on the thing that you really, really want to do. And I, I just feel like sometimes, you know, the world tells you, you should be settled down and pick what you want to do. Like right at 21 years old, dear God, like there's some, I'm 40 years old. And there's some days that I'm just like, okay, what am I doing next? Like, I'm not really sure, but you know, it's just a, so freaking cool that you were able to do that. And you trusted yourself enough to figure it out along the way. And you didn't let those little tiny steps or like how the end is going to turn out, stop you from doing the next step, which I think is so freaking beautiful and brilliant. 
Hey, y'all, it's Christina. If you've listened to this podcast a while, you've probably heard me talk about my clients. And the reason for that is I'm obsessed with them and they're obsessed with their results. Having been a one-on-one coach for over five and a half years and being voted the top confidence coach in 2020, I can firmly tell you there is not a faster way to success than having someone hold you consistent, confident, and give you the clarity you need to achieve your personal and professional goals. In 2023, I am doing something that no one else in the coaching industry does, and that's allowing you to have me as your one-on-one coach for less than $300 a month. So if you've ever thought about one-on-one coaching and didn't think it was possible for you, I would encourage you to text me the word COACH to 501-222-3362, and I can tell you what it would look like to have you and I together in a one-on-one coaching capacity for the next year to make sure you are deciding it is your turn to hit the goals that you have decided for in 2023. Again, text me the word coach to 501-222-3362. You can send me a message on Instagram at bchristina or check the show notes for more details. I look forward to hearing from you. Something that I think is really cool here too, and you haven't really touched on it. Obviously you love food and you love baking, but Do you love the photography video aspect of this? Because obviously that's a huge portion of what you do. You know, I tell people all the time that in my world, it it doesn't matter as much like how it looks like to me, people care much more about my opinion, how I articulate things, my personality, but in someone in your industry, you know, I always say like the food industry or, you know, fashion or you know, whatever, like the, the very artistic industries are very artistic things. It does matter. So are you very much into photography and videography? Yes. I love that the photography and the videography element of it. When I started the account, I was using a professional camera. Actually, I had a professional camera with me when I was abroad and that's what I was using for most of the pictures. The iPhone camera wasn't very good back then. And I've actually shifted to using only my phone now. And I feel like for the effect that I'm going for, which is kind of that oozy, food porny, sharp, like, oh my God, I want to eat that off my phone type of image. It's actually better to shoot with my phone versus a professional camera. You kind of can capture that more. And I truly believe with natural lighting, a good setup, and good editing tools, that's all you need. And it, it is an art. It does take, you know, kind of having the intuition of knowing what angles you need to shoot from and how, how to style it and where to hold it and where the light's hitting and where the shadows are hitting. But I feel like that's something that kind of comes naturally to me. I did take one photography class when I was in high school one summer. But other than that, I've had no formal training. I'm pretty self-taught. And I I miss the days before reels and TikTok sometimes. I definitely feel like I loved taking photos more than I love clipping together videos. But it, it is still something that I enjoy and that I'm good at. And, you know, you're always evolving. I like seeing how other creators are cutting their videos and styling them the way that they do voiceovers, the way that they put captions on them, the way that they incorporate the music. You know, there's so many people to learn from just by watching other people's short form videos. I think that it's something 
a lot of people could do with practice. Yeah. Just starting, right? You like, that's how you learn is just to start. Do you have team working for you at this point in time, or is this just a solo venture? It's just me. I have talked to a few talent managers about having somebody to work with me to help negotiate brand deals. And that's definitely something that I see as a next step for me in the next year or two. Um, I I have hesitations about it. I can be kind of type A. I like to do everything on my own. You know, I can't imagine having somebody else that I send to a restaurant to try something for me or having somebody else in charge of editing for me. But I definitely do need to get more comfortable with delegating because it is necessary, especially as I grow and as I take on more projects. So that's something that's not in place right now, but that I do see being in place in the future. Cool. Do you feel like your past experience? So sometimes like for myself, I always think that like, you know, a lot of people can't see the correlation between the golf industry and, but I really was more in the corporate industry than I was in the golf industry per se, but a lot of people can't see the correlation now. And I just see so like, I just took so much from my 15 years in golf and put it into this career I have today and serving others. But, you know, do you see a lot of things that you took from your teaching career into what you're doing today? Or where do you, like, where, what do you bring from your past experience to what you do today? Yeah, I think there are a few correlations, you know, one of them being when I do a cooking video and I put a voiceover on it, a lot of feedback that I get, especially from people that I know is, wow, you were born to do this. You literally sound like a teacher walking us through the steps of how to make a banana bread step first, you're going to do this. You know, it's very formulaic and kind of sounds like you're instructing, I don't want to say a child, but another being. That's one of the ways in which there's kind of a direct correlation. Yeah. And then just, you know, the organization piece, you know, I can see how lesson planning and mapping out what you're teaching for the month kind of translates into content planning and what you're posting and where you're visiting for the month. You know, we had Google calendars that we used for all of our lesson plans for every subject. And I feel like the way that I formatted my content calendars is similar to that. And, you know, just working with other people, you have to be so diplomatic and so careful and respectful when you're speaking with a child's parents. And I feel like a lot of that is the same when you're speaking with a restaurant owner especially if it's a small business and, you know, just basic things like leading with compliments and, you know, keeping in mind the perspective that they're coming from. And when you call a parent to tell them that their child is having difficulties in school, you know, that's their baby, you know, that's going to hit them to the very core. And, you know, when you're talking to a restaurant owner, the restaurant is their baby and you have to be so sensitive and so mindful So I think that there are some correlations. That's awesome. Um, In regards to the business side of things, how has that been for you? Because I think that that's like, oftentimes that's what scares a lot of people, especially if they come from, you know, somewhat of an artistic background. I mean, obviously like you have that artistic side of you. How has the business side been and how have you navigated that? I had a lot of contacts saved up throughout the years and contact that I was already working with. And that's people who work at PR firms that might work with 20 different restaurants in the city. 
And so just doing a lot of outreach and being organized. I have an Excel spreadsheet where I have all of the contact information for hundreds of partnerships, whether they're paid or gifting that I've worked on. Uh, and, you know, putting yourself out there and being proactive, reaching out and asking, hey, do you need any extra hands with XYZ? I'm available. I'm doing content creation full time now, not being afraid to reach out to different restaurants, to different entities, and then also building a network of getting to know other creators in the city in this space. One of the things that I miss the most about teaching is having a team to work with and having colleagues to become close with, but there are so many content creators, especially in New York City, that are doing this full-time now, and something that's been really helpful for me as I've turned this into a business and tried to monetize it is speaking with other creators to hear how much are you asking for for the given deliverables, how do you know how to set your budget? Where did you pull that number from? What insights should I be sharing? What insights should I not be sharing with a brand? Just basic things like that. You know, I really appreciate all the interactions that I've been able to have with other creators in the space because I've learned so much from hearing how they go about negotiating and doing their own outreach. That is so cool. Yes. I always say you are who you surround yourself with. And if you want to be the number one food blogger in the world, you better hang out with those who are doing the exact same thing. I mean, it just pushes you. It inspires you. You learn from people, be a sponge, you know, take what you want and leave what you don't. So to kind of go into like the fun parts of this, um, I would love to know, and I'm sure my audience would as, would as well. What are the most yummiest things that you've ever enjoyed? Where are they? Like, I know everyone's going to be going to check out your profile right now. And you guys, she is absolutely right. It is food porn. Like you want to go, you want to eat it all, all the time. But like, what's your favorite thing? Like, I just want to know all the good parts of it. Like, let, tell us, let us in, let us in the know. Yes, I have so many. I'll start with New York. My favorite bakery in New York is Little Cupcake Bake Shop. I don't know if you're familiar. Girl, I've never been to New York. Do you not? Like I've traveled. I've been to probably 50 countries in the world and that's not an exaggeration. And I've never been to New York. I've flown through New York. Right? I have clients there. I need to go crazy. I'll write you your food itinerary. Yes, girl. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm going to take you up on that. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, obviously New York pizza, New York slice, my favorite pizza in New York would be Ruby Rosa or Mama's 2, which is in Harlem, but they're opening in West Village. Has Dave Pomeroy ever, you know who Dave Pomeroy is? Yes. Dave Pomeroy. Yes. Yeah. Does he, um, have you ever like gone to the same pizza place as he does? I've never met him or been there at the same time as him, but I've definitely been to a bunch of the ones that he's reviewed. Oh, cool. My favorite restaurant in the entire world is actually a pizzeria in Philadelphia called Tocanelli's. And I was so excited. He went there and he reviewed it. I think he gave it a high score and that was exciting for me. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So Ruby Rosa, Mama's Two, Little Cupcake Bake Shop in New York is amazing for a nicer dinner. I love homemade pasta is my go-to food and there's a restaurant on the Lower East Side called Forsythia that is my favorite. I recommend it to everybody. It's charming, it's cozy, it's quaint, the food is fresh. Then some that are a little more mainstream, Via Carota, Isodi, Laratusi, they all have amazing homemade pasta, but truly I could go on and on and on. 
in DC, Baked and Wired is one of my favorite bakeries in the world. It's amazing. They have the best cupcakes, homemade hot chocolate with a homemade marshmallow, this s'mores bar that you would die over. And then my favorite baked good in the world is a cinnamon roll. I so, do a ton of cinnamon rolls. Yes. <laughs> so anytime I go to a new city, I'm Googling where's the best cinnamon roll around here. And I love trying cinnamon rolls. I, I fundamentally believe I've tried every cinnamon roll in New York City, which is absurd. <laughs> I've probably tried over a hundred cinnamon rolls anywhere that has it on their brunch menu as a bakery offering. I love baking cinnamon rolls. Like there is nothing better to me. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. This is so cool. You guys see, this is the reason why you have to pursue your passion. You have to go and do the thing because now you could like, if you do what Rachel did, you can not teach and you can go just try cinnamon rolls all damn day. <laughs> I know people ask me, what do you do? What's your job? In short words, I eat. Oh my gosh. What a dream. Um, is there anywhere in the world that you haven't been yet? That's like a bucket list that you're just like dying to go. Japan. I would love to explore oh, the food cool. scene in Japan. I've been around Europe and my favorite place to visit for food is Italy for, you know, pasta, pizza, bread, gelato, what could be better. But I feel like Japan has such an interesting food scene. There's so many things there that would take me out of my comfort zone that I would enjoy trying that are just different. And I love sushi. I feel like that would be a really fun one. I'd love to go back to Australia now that I'm older because I feel like at the time I didn't have the desire or the budget to go to some of the places that now I'd be so excited to try. And, you know, just other places around the States. I yeah. feel like I've never been to Houston, Charleston, just some cities that. Oh, Charleston's a dream. It is so nice. I love it. Oh my gosh. Such a, such a dream. Houston, my favorite cities in Texas. So I'm in Arkansas. And so my favorite cities in Texas are Austin and Dallas. I'm, I'm more of an Austin and Dallas girl than I am a Houston girl. Austin either. Oh yeah. The food scene in Austin is apparently amazing. So cool. So before I let you go, last couple questions. The first one I want to ask you is what was the decision you were afraid to make like whether, you know, it was entering this career or not, but you know, what was the decision that you were really nervous to make? And once you made it, it was either a good decision or a bad decision, but were you grateful that you actually made it? It was quitting my job. I was dreading telling my boss and telling my school that I wasn't coming back. I waited until the very end of the year and looking back, you know, I probably should have told them a little bit earlier. And I think part of that was that it wasn't a conversation that I was looking forward to. And also it wasn't reversible. So that was so final, you know, I'm telling them I'm not coming back. They're going to hire somebody else. You know, once I tell them that it's real, it's final. And so that was the hardest decision for me to make. I'd been there for five years and it was hard. The thought of not seeing the students that I taught grow up and, you know, come back visit the classroom, give me a hug. That was something that made me feel pretty emotional. So yeah, quitting teaching was the hardest decision. Okay. And which totally makes sense, but now they can follow you online. You can post it new and they can watch it. <laughs> uh, and the last question I have for you is where do you see the carboholic? Where is it going? What do you aspire to do? Is there anything that you want to do that you haven't done yet? 
so much. I, you know, I see my following continuing to grow, reviewing more cities, reviewing more restaurants, you know, evolve, having my content evolve as social media evolves, gaining a bigger following on other platforms. And I even think sometimes about starting a podcast. I feel like it's hard to, I know. Yeah, girl. It's hard to find podcasts that interview creators creators will come on to somebody else's podcast, but I don't feel like there's any central hub where creators, especially in the food industry, are being brought on and asked about their experience. And it's something that I look for and I would like to listen to, but not only just creators, but I'd love to hear from small businesses and small restaurants. And there are so many e-commerce, especially baked goods, so many baked good e-commerce sites now that are making a killing that opened in the pandemic or slightly before. And I feel like they have super interesting stories to share and kind of creating a platform for that. But yeah, just continuing to grow and try new things, you know, throw spaghetti, see what sticks. Yeah, girl. Oh, well, I'm excited for you. Congratulations. I think it's so cool what you're doing. And yeah, I know that there's a few um, bakeries that you partner with and like, um, Tom, uh, what's that cake that you've been recently done? You did something with like, it's this multi-tiered cake. Oh, pie cake in. Yes. It's so decadent. So good. They sell them on Gold Belly. It's a- yes, Gold Belly. This is a thing that I just started following because of you. I didn't know what this was. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. They're amazing. You can get so many different things from cities shipped straight to your doorstep through Gold Belly. They have pizza from Lou Malnati in Chicago you can get shipped frozen to your door you know a New York bagel a pie cake and it's a great site so so cool so Rachel tell everyone where they can find you on all of the platforms how they can connect with you you know where they can go and check out all of these restaurants that you suggested just give us all the things of course you can follow me at the carboholic the c-a-r-b-o-h-o-l-i-c i'm on instagram and i'm on tiktok amazing thank you so much for being here thank you for sharing your story i know that there is one person for sure that's going to listen to this and go damn it i'm gonna do the thing so thank you for being here i hope so thank you for having me christina of course Thank you all so much for joining me on today's episode of the Decide It's Your Turn podcast. If today's episode resonated with you at all, please share it with a friend. Also, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. What is it that you want us to talk about that will help you realize that at any moment and any day, you too can decide it's your turn. I'm Christina LeCure. I'll see you next time.